right? Hard questions coming at you. Fill in this blank. It's like you're reading my mind. Yes, good. All right. So you're off to a great start. You're one for one. All right? God is light. Thank you. <laughs> what does light do? What does light do? Good. It reveals things. Excellent. Light reveals things. Good. And uh, what was God revealing in First John when we read that God is light? Like, this is a message that we have heard and seen and declared to you that God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. Like, what was that thing that God's revealing? Tougher question. Yeah. Not yet. We'll get to that. We'll get to that. Himself. Yeah. So he's revealing that he is the source of life. That real, true, eternal, abundant life is in his Son, the Lord Jesus. And if you have a relationship with the Lord Jesus, then you have that real, true, abundant, eternal life. That's how you have it. Good. That life is very different than what we normally think of. It doesn't consist of what we possess. It uh, is not about me, me, me. It's seek first the kingdom of God. It's a very different kind of life. Well, then we learned that that light was shining in darkness. And our default position is, I am in darkness. Um, that is, like, I am under God's wrath and I deserve to be there because of the things I've done or the things I've thought or the things I've said. And I deserve that judgment and I'm standing in darkness. What is keeping me in that darkness? So a light shines. I can see that light, but what's I might? But what's keeping me there? A blindfold. The God of this age has blinded the minds. So Satan is blinding minds. So he's using these different. Uh, sometimes it's philosophy. Sometimes it's religion. It could be all kinds of things that's blinding our eyes. So we don't respond to that light that we now see that's showing us the danger of our position. Alright. When I realize then that I'm in this dangerous position, I don't have to stay there. If I do stay there, well then the conclusion is inevitable. I'm going to experience the wrath I deserve. But, if I don't stay there, if I, the Bible describes it as believe, if I believe, well, that means I'm believing that when the Lord Jesus died, He took that wrath for me. He took my place. And the Bible says I've gone from darkness to light. I've been translated from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of the Son of His love. Or as we read in Acts, to proclaim this idea of like going from darkness to light, from, uh, uh, from condemnation to salvation, to going from being under the control of Satan and his lies to God from a, uh, to a place of forgiveness, from a place of wrath. So that's what the Bible means when it says, believe, or I, that when the Lord Jesus died, he died for me. So I can leave that darkness. I don't have to stay there. I can leave that darkness. I can go to the light. But if I'm standing in the light and looking back at this situation, how am I going to now see it differently? One of the greatest challenges facing Christians today, modern Christians, is compartmentalizing their lives. Now let me show you what I mean. 
I have this little like um, I totally took this from my wife who probably doesn't even know I have it but uh, it's this cool little like crafty thing where you have like forks and spoons and knives so like when you have a meal people can just pick them out it's kind of nice anyway but I took it because it helps understand um, this idea of compartmentalizing our lives in other words like sometimes what we do is like we are in this compartment and we're like this is work Dan and when Dan is at work, this is how he acts and this is how he lives. Now, don't get me wrong. Work Dan is very ethical. Like, he's going to try to honor the Lord in his work. So he's not going to do, like, unethical things. But but there I am. Like, that's work me. Then later, I, I walk. To work. So that's why I did that. Uh, but this is home Dan. So here's home Dan. And home Dan has his routines and does his things. And uh, is a family man. You know, that's like home Dan. And then on Sundays, uh, we drive. Like, but anyway, we drive. And this is church Dan. And when Dan's at church, it's what he does. And this is the person that he is. And, uh, if a person from work were to happen to pop in, they might be surprised. Like, wow, I wouldn't expect you here. Because they don't really ever see, like, church, Dan. And then every now and then, like, we'll invite people from work to home and they'll see, like, a little snippet of, like, home, Dan. But, like, these individuals might be very different kinds of individuals. The problem is just that, that my life is compartmentalized. Like, I have, like, this compartment, this compartment, this compartment. My person is, like, this person, this person, this person. When is it that my Christianity becomes my work? Or when is it that my faith is evident at home? When is it that I become like more than just like work Dan or um, home Dan or church Dan? Like when is it that my life isn't so compartmentalized, but rather that it's not just that I'm a Christian in my work, but it's really that my Christianity provides a framework for my work. Alright? Like, what do I mean? What would you do if you were in a college class or a high school class and the teacher walked in and uh, drew on the board a heart and then walked over here and they drew on the board a brain? And they said, the heart is for religion. And with our heart, we are going to worship God. But the brain is for science, and in here, we're going to think with our science brain. How would you respond to something like that? Oh, you're free to worship God with your heart. But in here... We're going to use our brain. And with our brain, 
We do science. How would you respond to somebody like that? Like, if you heard that, what would your response be? Right? Alright, so I need a guy with a booming voice to read Luke 10.27. Harold, was that you? Sure. Alright! Matthew, Mark, Luke 10.27. You'll recognize it when you see it. The 72 returned with joy, <laughs> saying, Lord! Wait, 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 wait. Did I get that reference completely wrong? Luke 10.17? No, 27. Yeah, 27. Uh, Whew, I was like, starting to like, yeah, 1027. Want to make sure you're on your toes. Yeah, 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 I appreciate that. All right, Luke 10, 27. And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. Right, so when can I say... Yeah, I'm going to worship God with my heart, but I'm not going to check my mind at the door. Like, I'm going to worship God with my mind too. Like, when does my faith become my heart, my soul, my mind, my strength? Like, when does work Dan say, I'm not work Dan, I'm Dan who is a believer? And when does home Dan say, I'm not home Dan, I'm believer Dan? And when does... uh, Chapel Dan say, I'm not Chapel Dan, I'm Believer Dan. Like, I am a believer who is loving the Lord with all my heart, soul, mind, strength, whether it's work or home or whether it's at the chapel. Imagine, uh, imagine a teacher who's a Christian teacher at a Christian school. And, um, she is like, we're gonna open our class in prayer. And so she does. But now we've got that done. Uh, let's learn about what? F. Scott Fitzgerald, you know, the great Gatsby. And uh, we'll study uh, the great Gatsby. And uh, ooh, let's read some Jack London, The Call of the Wild. And we'll learn about uh, The Call of the Wild. And so, uh, great. You know, she's um, interested in the like, novels and teaching uh, these novels, just like you would get at any public school. In another scenario, like, we'll call him Jerry the Auto Mechanic. Like, Jerry the Auto Mechanic, uh, he would love to do more of his Christianity, but he's an auto mechanic. And he's like, I'm not a full-time worker. I'm not a missionary. I'm not a pastor. I'm not anybody special. So I guess I'm just relegated to Prayer and giving. And I'll just be an auto mechanic and run, run my run my garage. Jim, he's an accountant. And uh, Jim the accountant, he has a sterling reputation. Now, he works for a company that is, uh, let's say, less than ethical. But they know that Jim has a sterling reputation, so they often send him to meet with new clients. And they leverage his reputation so that those clients will invest in their company, even though it's a little shady. Like, when is it that individuals 
begin to love the Lord their God with their heart, soul, mind, strength. When is it that we can get a framework, like a biblical framework, not just for our thinking, but for all of our life, like all of it, everything that we do? Um, I need someone who's willing to read uh, 2 Corinthians 10, 5. Yeah, thank you, Andrew. 2 Corinthians 10, 5. Casting down arguments in every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing everything thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Yeah, so did you catch what it said there? That we're casting down arguments and high things that exalt themselves against the knowledge of God, and we're bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. That is, we have a framework that's rooted in the Scripture that gives me a perspective about all of reality. That is, art, politics, law, all of reality. And every thought that comes into my mind, I weigh it, through that filter and I see like what does the Bible have to say about it like how should I be thinking about this how does this thought align with scripture what I'd like to do then for this session is give you a little framework that you can use that I hope starts to break down the walls of the compartmentalized life that you might live so that your life becomes one whole life. That I want to love the Lord my God with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my mind, with all my strength, and starts to break down some of those uh, some of those compartments. And it's a pretty easy framework to think about: creation, fall, redemption. All right, that's the framework: creation, fall. Redemption. So when you think of creation, think of like, what is the source? What's the root? What's the foundation? So for example, if I'm enjoying some art, the first, I'm like, wow, this is a beautiful piece of art. Why do I think it's beautiful? Let's go back to creation. So God says, let there be light. And what's he do? He sees this like earth that's like without form and void. So he starts to form it. Well, that's the idea of beauty. So beauty is resting in the character of God, that God understands beauty, and He made a world. He didn't have to make a world beautiful. He could have made it utilitarian, like it could have been pragmatic, but He didn't. It could have been black and white. There's color. So I go back to the source of creation. So I'm like, why is this painting beautiful? Well, because God is the source of beauty. He infused it in the creation. He made the world with color and a skyline with mountains and sunsets that are orange and pink sometimes and startling. Right? And then, so I think back to the source. Like, what's the source? What's the foundation? Creation. All right, the next thing I'm going to think about is the fall. That means like the world, because of sin, the world is in rebellion against God. The world is uh, anti-God. And so, in art, a lot of what I see is anti-God. You know, I'm going to see a lot of things that are going to be distorting. Like, uh, maybe it's a, 
maybe it's a sculpture of a person, and uh, the person is distorted. And I'm going to think, well, man was made in the image of God, but because of the fall, we get art like this that distorts that image, kind of mutilates it. But so I need to recognize that kind of stuff and put that through my filter. Like, all right, so God made a world that's beautiful. Sometimes that gets represented in art. But because of sin, that's corrupted. So when I see that, I've got to recognize that sometimes that gets twisted and perverted and bent because of the fall. So I recognize that it's a reality. Then I go to redemption. Like this idea of Redemption, that when God's plan of redemption for this world isn't just to rescue all the souls. Alright? God's plan of redemption includes your actual physical body and the actual physical world. So like in Romans 8, all creation is groaning, waiting for this adoption for sons. And that adoption doesn't just stop at the sun. It's this new creation of a new uh, of a world that's going to be redeemed. So, and it's not just your your soul; it's that your physical body also uh, gets redeemed. So, like, so when I look at this piece of art, I got to think to myself: All right, God is this source of beauty. Because of the fall, often these things get twisted and bent and perverted. I can paint art. I can produce art. I can make things that are beautiful and reflect God's character and His person, and I can uh, present that redemption to the world. Like, God can take things that are ugly and change them to something amazing. So I'm, like, looking at my life through this filter. Right? I'm looking at my life through this filter of, like, creation, that God is the source. If it's uh, the physical world, He made that physical world. We can study that with science and math. But it's his world. He made it. If it's like human nature, we can study that with uh, law, and we can study that with politics, and we can study that with ethics, we can study that with psychology, but it's his person. He made us. When I think of the fall, I just remember that these things are in rebellion. Like this world is in rebellion against God because of sin. I need to be aware of that. I need to recognize that that uh, I might find some nuggets of truth. Like, there are people out there who do not know Christ, and they might discover uh, some nuggets of truth. Well, fine. But I have to be careful, because it may be that the tools of analysis that they're using are flawed, because they're corrupted by sin. So this goes back to, like, uh, political theories. Something like, um, when we write a law... Are we writing the law based on the premise that mankind is basically good? Are we are we working toward a society that's based on the premise that mankind is basically good? I'm just saying, like, I need to recognize, like, if that's the premise in my law class, if that's the premise of my sociology class, I need to recognize that that tool of analysis is inherently flawed. <laughs> Like, if I'm going to make the assumption that mankind is basically good, and I'm going to start working from that assumption, from that premise, I'm going to come to some not great conclusions. Like, it's not going to work out. And then, the, uh, the redemption, this idea that God 
uh, saves not our, not just our mind, but our body too. It's the whole person, and our entire outlook needs to be rebuilt on His revealed truth. Um, I need someone to read it for me. Romans twelve two. Uh, Romans twelve. Yeah, sure, James. Romans twelve two. You probably know it by heart, but you'll recognize it when you see it. Romans twelve two. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Yeah, so the part of this living sacrifice of Romans 12, 1, that we present ourselves as a living sacrifice, is this. Part of the sacrifice is my renewed mind. I say that with a little trepidation. All right, part of the sacrifice is my renewed mind. So in Romans 12, 1, it says like um, that I'm going to be a living sacrifice. What that means is, God, I think this way, and I might be thinking wrong. I need to think the way you think. Change my thinking. And God will start working on that. He'll start renewing my mind. It might not be fun or pretty, but he'll work on it. All right, this renewing of my mind to think like he thinks in all of my aspects of my life and work. Um, let me give you two examples in my own personal life. One is a good example. One is a not good example. Of applying this framework. Creation, uh, fall, redemption. So let me start with a good example. Alright, start with a good example. Um, when I was... Uh, in high school, I started exercising on a regular basis. Like, I, I had a little weight set, and I would, like, lift weights in the mornings, usually. And then, like, I, I usually uh, played sports where there's a lot of running, so I, like, would go running. Anyway, uh, after high school, I stopped with the running, because I'm like, running is tiring. I don't like it. <laughs> but I enjoyed the, like, like weightlifting. So I'm like, I enjoy the weightlifting part. Well, uh, by the time I got to college, um, there was like a serious gym, and there was like serious people lifting weights. I mean, like manly men. <laughs> anyway, so I would be in there like bench pressing, and this guy's like, "You done with that?" I'm like, "Yeah." He's like, "That's my warm up weight." <laughs> so I'm like, <laughs> so at some point, I'm in the gym thinking to myself. I need to make a decision. Why am I here? Like, what is my purpose for working out, for exercising? Like, why am I here? And I came to the conclusion, like, I do not want to be a bodybuilder. That is not my purpose. Like, I do not want to be the biggest, strongest guy at the university. Like, that is not my goal. So I'm like, what is my goal? So I thought about it for a long time. Now I'm in college, and this was my conclusion. I decided I want to be uh, fit enough to protect my family so that someone who might want to do harm to my family would think twice because they would see me as intimidating. So I want them to be like, all right, I'm not going to mug that family. I'll wait for the next one. So I'm like, that's my goal. All right, that's my goal. Right? I didn't have a family. I didn't want to be dating anybody. But like, my goal is 
Like, I want to exercise for this purpose, right? So what I'm doing is I'm going back to creation. Like, why did God make our physical bodies? What does he want me to do? Well, he wants me to be a man. Like, what does that mean? He wants me to be able to protect and to serve and to help. Well, what does that mean? I, I need some kind of strength for that. Well, there's a fall. Like, I can be very proud and, and uh, you know, try to uh, build all this muscle and just, you know, admire myself in the mirror, you know. But I don't want to be narcissist, you know. I want to... I want this strength to be used for his purpose. That's redemption. The idea of, like, I want to be able to um, protect and serve my family in an effective kind of way. If that means i got to get up early to exercise, that's what I'm going to do with it. All right? So that's my good example. I'm just saying, like, it was a, it's a reshaping of mind. Like, the reshaping of mind. All right, now let me give you a terrible example. At about the same time in life, like, um, early into high school, um, my youth leader uh, was like, "Why don't you uh, do the devotion tonight? You know, for the for the retreat I was at." And I said, "Sure, fine." So I like put something together, gave a little devotion. He's like, "You know what? Whenever you're like sharing things about the Bible, it makes sense. You know, like you have a way of doing that. Like maybe that's your spiritual gift. You should explore that some." And so I did, like explore the idea of like. Maybe I can like teach the word some uh, as a spiritual gift. Well, um, when I first started college, I was so sure that I was going into physical therapy. There were no other options. Like I had no other options. Like I'm like I will be a physical therapist because I was in high school and I thought I knew everything. Well, I started college. Well, I was about to start college, and um, the school that I was planning on going to. Um, they threw some uh, big wrenches in my plans, and I was like, I can't even go to that school anymore. It's a terrible, but, it was, but it was my only like school I'd applied to. So I was like, when all these wrenches fell, I was like, just in a tailspin. Like, what am I going to do with my life? I don't even know. Anyway, so I, I uh, spent a couple years like I don't want to say floundering, but let's say floundering. Anyway, so uh, after this couple years, I started at a school, and I started in the education department. And my reasoning was this. If my spiritual gift is education, why not improve on it by getting a secular education? Like, in teaching. You're like, I don't see the flaw. Alright, here's the flaw. Can I develop a spiritual gift through a training with a foundation that is totally anti-spiritual? No, not even a little bit. Like, if it's a spiritual gift, it's going to be spiritually developed. Not by classes in a program for secondary ed. The flaw in my thinking was a spiritual work is somehow going to be augmented by this, like, secular education. Well, the reason it doesn't work is because of the philosophy of that education. It's because of the way they approached it. There was no spiritual element at all, except what I brought to the table. And my professors were always like, dude, you're a little weird. (laughs) But uh, fine, you know, whatever. I'm just saying uh, the problem was in my thinking a little bit. So how do I start to renew my mind? How do I start to 
remove some of the compartment? How do I start to live in a way where I can love the Lord your God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength? Well, I start to apply this idea of creation, fall, redemption in all my ways of thinking. Well, what does this idea of redemption even look like? Like, what does this even look like? This idea of, like, what am I, what am I saved to? Like, what am I redeemed to? Alright, this is a, um, interesting verse for that. It's in Genesis, actually. James, do you feel like reading out loud? Nice. Alright. Genesis 128. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase the number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Roll over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the, on the ground. Excellent. So, God makes man and then He gives him this mandate. Now, this mandate is before the fall. Right, so, this is God's original purpose for humanity. His original purpose for mankind. Be fruitful and multiply, that is, build civilizations, and subdue the earth, that is, explore natural resources, and um, work with me in the creative process. What I'm trying to say is this. Like, don't think of work as something that's secular, and think of, like, oh, this is Dan at work, this is Dan at the chapel, this is my life when I'm at work, this is my life when I'm at the chapel. What I'm saying is, the, the cultural mandate in Genesis 1 is God saying, this is what I want you to do. This is your part of your purpose. Is be fruitful and multiply. Build civilization. Build society. Make just laws. And then, explore the resources of the earth and do great things with them. Right? That mandate is before the fall. The fall is going to mess all that up. It's going to make those things more difficult and harder. But... Uh, the, the the purpose is still there. God's like, I want you to work with me in this creative process. Now think about this with Adam. God makes the animals, but then what does he get Adam to do? To name them. Right? So God's like, you can name it whatever you want. Use your creativity. Use your intelligence. Work with me in this process. Name these things. Alright? God... Uh, makes Adam, and then he puts him in a garden to do what with the garden? What's he doing with it? Two words. But and what? What was it? Yeah, tend and keep. Like take care of it. Well, this is before the fall. There's no weeds. There's no thorns. What's Adam doing? He's working with God's creative process. He's like. Alright, Lord, you made a pear tree. What happens if I prune it? God's like, you'll be interested to know when you find out. Because Adam's discovering the principles that God has put into his physical world. And Adam's tending and keeping and tending and keeping. All this is before the fall. So when we like when we think this way, like we begin to realize that, like. We're part of this process. Our, our, the time that we spend at work is not some like arbitrary time. It's not some different compartment. It's I want to work with 
God in this world that He made in a way that's going to honor Him, in a way that's going to recognize these things. He is the source of all things, that the fall corrupted them, and that I can work with Him in this redemptive process. Like, I can try to show other people what His truth and goodness are like. Um, Philippians chapter 3, verse 20. Hold your... uh, Lace up your shoes, because this might knock your socks off. Philippians 3.20. I'm looking for a good reader. Yeah. Go ahead. Philippians 3.20. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah, our citizenship is in heaven. A lot of times you hear a verse like that, and what people mean is, don't get overly involved because <laughs> your citizenship's in heaven. I don't even know if you should bother voting because your citizenship's in heaven. Don't get overly involved. Your citizenship is in heaven. But I don't think that's what Paul means when he's writing to the Philippians. What he's writing to the Philippians is this. Philippi is a Roman colony. You are representing Rome. And the idea is, for a colony, not that you want to pack up on a boat and head back to Rome. The idea is, you show people what Roman culture is all about. So when Paul's writing to the Philippians that says, your citizenship is in heaven, he's like, don't think about packing up and heading to heaven. The idea is, don't get saved and commit suicide. That's not what we're doing here. The idea is, you establish a colony where you show people what heaven is like. So much so that they look at you and they're like, wow, I'd like to be part of that colony. That life is better than the life I have. That life is abundant, it's full, it's eternal, it's real. That's the life I want. I want to join up with them. That's what he's saying. Be that kind of light. Be that kind of culture. So go back to our teacher. Like, our teacher who was just teaching these novels, opens in prayer, teaching these novels. Well, the problem isn't that the teacher is teaching novels. The problem isn't even the novels that they're teaching. The problem is this. Like, what is that teacher's approach to those novels? In other words, when they read The Great Gatsby, are they thinking back to creation, fall, redemption? When they read Call of the Wild, are they thinking back to creation, fall, redemption? It is that determining the way that they're teaching those things. In other words, if you just teach the great Gatsby, what you're going to get is a big spoonful of nihilism. right? The, the emptiness of the American dream. That's the great Gatsby in one sentence. Like, the futility of the American dream. There you go. Nihilistic. If you read Jack London, The Call of the Wild, you're going to get a big spoonful of naturalism. The law of tooth and fang. Like, but the dog survives, everybody else dies. Why? Because he's the strong one. Like, it's a big spoonful of naturalism, right? But the teacher needs to recognize those kind of things and, like, try to teach in a way that's uncovering God's truth because that's what creation is. God is the source of truth. Am I teaching in a way that's showing students how to uncover God's truth? Do I understand that these authors are writing about things like nihilism and naturalism because of the fall? Like, do I see that? 
Do I have a message of redemption where I can parse out what's the truth, the kernel of truth embedded in nihilism? What's the kernel of truth embedded in naturalism? And I'll recognize that that's part of God's truth, but there's this greater truth that has to do with redemption. Can I build that into my teaching philosophy? It's a totally different way of being a teacher. Let's go back to our auto mechanic who's thinking to himself, well, I'm not a full-time worker or missionary, so I guess I'm just relegated to fix cars, pray, and give. But what if he saw his, his auto body shop in terms of creation, fall, redemption? Creation. These materials are part of God's universe, like the metal, the, the, um, the mechanics. It's all part of God's creation that um, uh, God is the creator of the, the world. And in this world, he made it a cause and effect universe. So you turn the key, it should ignite. If it doesn't, there's a problem. Like there should be a cause, there should be effect. This is part of God's created order. The fall. The reason cause break down is the second law of thermodynamics. Right? Because of sin, we have this tendency toward disorder. Your car breaking down is a great example of that. But not just that. Who comes to see an auto mechanic? Do people go for regular maintenance? Very few. When do you show up at an auto mechanic? That's right, when your car is breaking down, it's making a terrible noise, it's clanking, it's sputtering, it's dying, it's on fire. Right? Like, whatever it is, like, you're showing up because you're in a crisis. What's a great opportunity for a mechanic to say, well, I see your car's broken down. You're in a crisis. Things are rough right now. What do you do? Who do you turn to when things are bad? It's a great conversation starter, this idea that you're aware of the brokenness in this world because you're here, literally, because something is breaking down. Okay? And then in terms of redemption, the idea of like honest, like being honest about the problem, about honest about the cost, about uh, helping people who might not be able to get to the mechanic, like maybe making a special trip to help out widows, uh, you know, that they might know, making that even a ministry, or even just like this idea of fixing cars is this part, this picture of redemption, like what God can do in your life. I'm fixing your car, but do you know that God can fix your life in a very similar kind of way? You're broken down with sin and guilt and craziness, God can help work with that? I'm just saying it doesn't have to be a full-time ministry. It doesn't have to be missionary. It could just be His work is His ministry. What that does is starts to break down this compartment. So He's not just mechanic. Then here, here I am at Sunday just being here at church. But now, I can worship with my heart, soul, mind, and strength. What about that lawyer? What if he's starting to think about law in terms of like, what's the source of law? Well, it's the source of God's justice, that God is the source of what is just and good and right, and that God has made a world with natural consequences. Like, when I do good, things are good. When I do bad, there's natural consequences for that. God's made a world that way. Uh, can I recognize that He's the source of that? Then think in terms of the fall. Like when I write a law, like when I'm looking at a law, 
do I see it bec- like do I see it in utilitarian terms like we're just making laws to be pragmatic do I see it though is like in terms of the fall that because people are broken we need the rule of law otherwise it's going to get worse and worse do I recognize that we're writing laws because we we think that uh, people are basically good or are we writing laws because we recognize that people are basically sinful so we're not if I'm a lawyer and I'm writing those kind of things or recognizing those kind of things, do I see it through that lens of the fall? And then what about redemption? Like, again, why would someone go see a lawyer? Do they go because, hey, I'm here $200 an hour because my life is good and I just want to tell you about it. (laughs) No, if they're coming to see a lawyer, it's because they're in a crisis. Things are bad. Life is terrible. They might be going through a divorce. You know, they might be like uh, in some dispute with a neighbor, whatever it is. But that lawyer then can help them make decisions about what's good, what's proper, what's right. Am I just going to be here and tell them like, well, these are the laws and this is what you can do. And if you sue, you can get $5 million. Or am I trying to help them make a good decision about what's right and true and just and uh, helping people work through those things with counsel and comfort? Like, is my work also a ministry? Like, am I thinking of it in those terms? Like, what I'm doing in those terms? That's the idea of breaking down this, um, about breaking down this compartmentalization that we all, that we often, um, that we often fall into. Now you might be thinking, alright, that sounds good and everything. I'm gonna have to start thinking about, like, my schooling in terms of creation, fall, redemption, how does that work? Like, whether I'm a teacher, an engineer, whether I am a landscaper, like, how can I start thinking of it that way? But what's your goal here? Are we going to somehow, like, uh, change this world to the point where we're going to usher in some kind of grand utopia? Is that the end goal? Like, if all these Christians started to live like this, somehow we would have this grand utopia? I think the Bible's pretty clear. The answer is no. Right? There's no ushering in the kingdom uh, by somehow our efforts. And I think the reason we can think that way is if you look at what happened to the Lord Jesus. Like, what happened to the Lord Jesus? Like, how was he treated when he was here? Did, were people like, oh, I see you're loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's great. We're just going to change everything. That's not how he was received. I don't think we're going to be received any better or any different. In fact, I think that if we start living this way where our philosophy of life is united, like we start losing these compartments and loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, I think much like the Lord, you can expect a lot of rejection. You can expect not uh, being passed over for advancement. Um, I think you could expect paying a price for being uh, faithful because we live in a fallen world where you might not see some success. You might not have a lot of popularity because of that. Um, Interestingly, I can can attest, (laughs) and I think... uh, Anyway, I can attest, like, I, I teach high school, 
And um, I can definitely attest that um, I get in some hot water <laughs> because of living my faith. But that's to be expected. Like, it's to be expected. Because I'm in a world that's antagonistic um, to a life of a person who loves the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. This is another verse that Paul writes to the Philippians. This is what he says. Do all things without complaining and disputing. Why? That you may become blameless and harmless. Children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. And this is what he says. Among whom you shine like lights in the world. If you're living your life, your philosophy of life in that framework, creation, fall, redemption, you're seeing it in that framework, you're living that out, you will shine like a light in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. And you can rest assured it might not be well received. Put it that But sometimes that's the cost uh, for following Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're thankful for some guidance from Your Word that um, to show us that we can live a life that's unified and holistic and honoring to You. And Lord, help us to take every thought captive, everything that comes through our mind. Um, and maybe even to use this little framework of uh, going back to the source. That How is this rooted in who You are and what You're like? recognizing that it's been twisted and bent by sin, and then how can we work with you in this process of redemption to make it whole and glorifying to you? Lord, I pray that we would do that in our our work and our homes, with our friends, our relationships, uh, that we would do that uh, wherever we are and in every way so that we could honor you with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We pray this in the name and for the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.